As you just heard through the video, Jesus Christ walks with us, talks with us, he interacts with us all the time, whether it's whatever, whatever season it is. And, and as we continue walking through this book of Galatians, we are again reminded that Jesus Christ is walking with Paul through this issue that the Galatians are experiencing. We come to this place where Paul is, frankly, and you'll hear me say this in just a few minutes, he's at wit's end. He doesn't know what else to do with these people. He just, he doesn't get it. He loves them deeply. He wants the best for them, and yet they continue being tempted to go astray. And as my mom uh, was raising, uh, you know, as my folks were raising us when, when my sister and I were younger, every now and then uh, they would, my mom especially, would offer us something unexpected. And it was usually a good thing, whether it be a cookie after dinner or something like that. She would offer us something. And, and so I was notorious for doing the following. If she offered a cookie out of the blue, I would ask for another cookie. And my mom would say this every single time, and it's the reason why the name of this message is, you give an inch, they take a mile. That's what I was trying to do. I was never quite satisfied with just one cookie. I wanted another cookie. And what these false teachers are doing is that very thing. They're saying, just go this one little inch. Just give us this one inch and everything will be fine. But yet that's not true at all. We give an inch. And, it gets, and what ends up happening is a mile gets taken. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And we continue looking at, uh, at this issue that Paul's addressing with, with the Galatians. And, uh, and it's, it's fascinating what he has to say here. And so he says this, starting in verse 2. He says, Mark my words. I, Paul tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those, I'm sorry, as for those agitators, I love Paul's heart here. I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's bluntness right there. And we'll talk about that in a little while. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your grace, the greatness of your grace. A grace that continues weaving its way in and through people's lives and transforming people in marvelous ways. Lord, we would ask now that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes so that we could see that grace in action. That you would open our ears so that we can hear your word of grace to us this morning. 
about how great your love is for us. That you would open our minds that we could understand more fully what it means to be grace-filled people who've placed their trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that you would speak through our hearts and take our hearts and transform us to be a people that is so transformed by your grace that people can't help but say, look at the way they exercise their faith through love. Father, we pray that that would be true. We pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but only what it is that you want them to hear. And we pray in all of this that Jesus Christ would be lifted up and exalted. In his name we pray. Amen. So, look at that very first, the very first few words of verse 2. Mark my words. And in some of your, in some of your translations, it, 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 there's, this, there's such an emphasis here. Paul is emphatic here. In essence, what he's saying is, may I have your attention, please. Paul's been working at this for four chapters. He's been laying out this case again and again and again. And he's at this place where he doesn't know what else to say. It's like that parent, those of you that have been parents and, or those of you that have been around parents, when they're with their three or four-year-old that is, has said, you know what, I'm going to embarrass you entirely in this restaurant. You been there before? The other day I was at the airport, uh, I, went, I had a meeting in Scottsdale, Arizona this last uh, a couple days ago, and so I was in the airport yesterday, and by the way, real quickly, I'm so glad to be home. It was 114 degrees there on uh, when I arrived, well, not on the day I arrived, but on Friday. It was miserable. It was like a layer of hell I was in or something. I mean, it was just crazy how hot it was, you know, and, um, but anyway, I, I get sidetracked. I'm in the airport, and these twins are walking up with their mom and dad, and they have their little cute, you know, carry-ons that they're dragging behind them everything's fine, but I could tell something was about to happen because the little girl was not getting her way. They go to sit down, and her mom says, you need to sit here and stay here. The little girl began to get out of the seat. Mom picked her up, put her back in the seat, and then the entire terminal heard the little girl let loose. And I felt for the mom. She's sitting there thinking, this is not good. And then the other thing is, I'm sitting there thinking, you're getting on a flight to Chicago. You got four and a half hours to go. It was crazy. But she lets loose. And the mom <laughs> then says, and she, she, just, she, she was very stern with her and said, sit here and don't say a word. She was stern. She had to get this point across. That's what Paul's doing here. That's the attitude that he has here. Because we need to understand the context here. Paul is at wit's end. Paul doesn't know what else to do anymore. He's laid it out clearly for them. And he says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you yourselves be circum let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be, and look at this, of no value at all. What Jesus Christ experienced for you, Galatians, what he experienced will be of no value anymore if you allow yourself to go down this place of thinking that you can get everything you need for righteousness' sake on your own. And I love what Paul does here. Notice, notice what he says here. He says, 
I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, and then verse 3, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. We need other people in our lives who are going to help us in our walk with Jesus Christ. But here's what he's driving at. Because notice, he's saying, it's your decision. It's your decision on whether or not you're going to follow through on being circumcised. In essence, what he's saying is, it's your responsibility to follow after Jesus Christ. We live in a blame-first society. If we don't get our way, it's always somebody else's fault. And so what Paul's saying is, if you decide to get circumcised, I want you to know, it's not the false teacher's fault. It's your fault. You need to be held accountable for your actions, is what Paul's saying. And in all of our lives, we need to be held accountable. We just do. Yes, bad things happen to us, but as Christ followers, those who have placed their trust in Christ, if bad things happen to us, we have the responsibility to operate and step forward with grace and God working in our lives and through our lives. So often, we focus on being a victim rather than on what Jesus Christ has done to pull us through and that we no longer have to say we're a victim. Yes, we were hurt. Yes, things, bad things have happened to us. But Jesus Christ is working through that darkness and he's working through that pain I've experienced and he keeps moving me forward. What Paul's saying is Galatians take responsibility for your actions. And I love how blunt he is here. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For, th for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for, what, for which we hope. Paul lays this out and he says, if you're going to go this false teaching way, you're going to fall away from grace. And when you fall away from grace, you're alienating yourself from Jesus Christ the one who was righteous, the one who has done everything necessary to save you. It begs this question. And it's a question that I've been wrestling with all week. Frankly, I've been wrestling with almost every single day of my life. And it's this. Whose righteousness are you depending on? Whose righteousness are you depending on? Are you depending on your righteousness or Jesus Christ's righteousness? Are you depending on your efforts to, to prove your worth, to prove that you really are a good person, to prove that you can do all that it takes? But yet, if all of us are honest, there have been more than a few times where we've fallen woefully short of righteousness. There's only one who's never once fallen short of righteousness and his name is Jesus Christ his name is Jesus Christ and so Paul in essence is saying to them do you want to alienate yourself from this real righteousness that Jesus Christ experiences or and we look at verse 5 for for through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness and that's what he's saying is by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ you're going to experience this righteousness for which we hope it's not a far-off thing. It is a now experience. Jesus Christ rescues you now, not later. Well, actually, 
He rescues you now and later. It's a full-on deal. It's a buffet of salvation. You get everything here. But he wants us, he wants the Galatians to realize this is serious business. And then he says this in verse 6. In essence, he's saying, do you want to live a life that counts? Look at verse 6. And I encourage you, by the way, if, if, you, if you highlight, if you underline, if you memorize, verse, Galatians 5, verse 6 needs to be underlined, memorized. This verse is powerful. As a matter of fact, before we even read it, many commentators believe that this one verse is one of the, if not the most powerful verse that Paul ever wrote. Because it combines everything that he's about. It says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. That's an important part. But the most important part is the next part. The only thing that counts. Notice that. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Many commentators believe that the last sentence of this verse is Paul's theology, his lifestyle, everything summed up in a nutshell. Faith expressing itself through love. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And what matters to Jesus Christ should matter to us. If we want to live a life that counts, what matters to Jesus Christ is what matters to us. Look at the way he lived his life. When Jesus Christ came on the scene, Jesus Christ didn't sit in some chair and say, please come and visit me. Jesus Christ's faith compelled him, moved him to love people, to care for people of all walks, young, old, in between, smart, not so smart, lepers, very healthy people, very sick people, people that were his enemies, people that were his friends. He loved them all. His faith, the way he lived out his life, said, these people matter to me. And it's one of the reasons why we have, we have this statement here of having one message of loving God and loving people. That's what Jesus Christ did. He's God. He did it. He showed us that he cares for people. And this part of this verse, I call it the life assessment tool verse, and it's this, the only thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. At the State of the Church address, or the vision dinner address that I give every year on the last Saturday, or the last Sunday of, of January each year, I stood on this platform and I said to you, one of our goals, and I believe that this is where God is leading us, one of our goals is to get involved with the elementary school that's just around the corner at Mission Park off of Acacia and, and San Vicente. I need you guys to be praying for me because in this upcoming week, I meet with the principal to talk about how we can be involved in helping serve and represent Jesus Christ there. And so her name is, uh, is Mrs. Zosette. What was that? What? Zanzot, there it is, Zanzot. So pray for that encounter. I appreciate that. Miss Jennifer Zanzot. Pray for that meeting that I have with her that, uh, that we can have a great uh, just getting to know each other as well as where is it that God is wanting us to faithfully show our love and, and to show and, and to express that, that faith through loving these people. The word here that 
that Paul uses uh, where it says faith expressing itself through love, that, that phrase faith expressing, that's a Greek word that it, it's called energo, which is the same word, which is the word where we get the word energy from. Meaning this needs, our faith needs to compel us. Our faith needs to move us. And so that's what it's to be about. Our faith is mobile. Our faith is dynamic. It's not something that we, that we sit there and, and literally sit here on a Sunday morning for an hour, hour and a half, and we say, this is my exercise of faith. Our faith is to be lived out. Our faith is to be evident in the way we live out our lives. By it being mobile and by it being dynamic means this, wherever you go, God is going with you. You get to represent Him. Whether it be at work, whether it be with your family, if you're going through some family stuff, whether it be here, whatever the case may be, wherever you are, your faith is to be exercised through love, expressed through love. And one of the ways that we believe that that happens here is by being involved in life groups. And, and life groups come alongside us, and, and, they, and our life group ministry here is, is there to help us live out our faith because we know this, that it's difficult. And so people get together in these life groups, and they pray for one another. They support one another. And I want to invite Tack Sato up at this particular time. And uh, we're going to hear from Tack. Tack is one of the most, um, I don't know if you'd call Tack... Uh, I'll just say it this way. Tack is, is one of the most dry-humored people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> He's a good guy, don't get me wrong, but Tack and I go back and forth on some things, and, and, uh, and, but, but Tack is has been involved in, a, in our life group ministry for a, quite a while. I thought it would be appropriate to hear from him so that you can understand what life group ministry is all about. So Tack, I turn it over to you for just a few moments. <laughs> and hold the mic up there, buddy. You're, Check one. Uh -oh. Got to turn it on. There you go. Right. Yeah, we got you. Yeah, so uh, I've been life group, question one, for two years. So right. Yeah, that's so right. How has the life group tech helped you live out your faith? Because you're involved. I mean, you, you're, you, you commute all, every day to Santa Clara to, to do your work at Kaiser. And so how has the life group encouraged you, assisted you in, live, in, in expressing your faith through love? How has that happened at, at Kaiser? Yeah, so um, it's been challenging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I find certain people are exceptionally challenging to work with. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean any names. But one of the things I try to do is um, to be exceptionally nice to people that are exceptionally difficult. Well, that's a good thing. Do you think Jesus was exceptionally nice to exceptionally difficult people? Okay, so there we go. So that, that works. Do you find yourself an exceptionally difficult person to be around? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> but the Life Group ministry has been a great blessing in you and Linda's life. And, and as, you, as you've encountered all these different challenges, the great thing, and, and one of the things that, that I haven't addressed very well today is the fact that, that Paul desires us to work together on this. This isn't a, following after Jesus isn't some solo experience. And for you, and you shared this just a few moments ago, you're the type of person that would love to show up here at the last, right after meet and greet is over and get out of here before we're done so that you don't have to interact with people. Am I correct on that? And so, I mean, it just is. I mean, I'm not saying anything you didn't say, but yet, but yet, if I'm hearing you correctly, the life group has been integral in helping you understand the sense of community, the sense that you're not in this by yourself, and the sense that, that, that through this ministry, you can express your faith through love in other people. That's true. All right. So. Just one thing to add. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right, it is. It's quite an encouragement. Well, thank you for sharing that. So, Tack, I appreciate that an awful lot. So, you're welcome. You're welcome. So. So, again, Paul says it's faith expressing itself through love. And you just heard from Tack, and, and, and I loved what he said. He has to be exceptionally nice to exceptionally difficult people in his workplace. All of us have been there. All of us have been there. And where is that model best? It's modeled best from Jesus Christ. He wasn't just exceptionally nice to people. He was the exceptionally exception. That's all there is to it. We're difficult to be around at times. I hate to say it, but it's true. But Jesus Christ says, I love you. I care about you. And so he lays this out, and we continue on, and this is when an inch truly becomes a mile. Verse 7. You were running a good race. Who, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the, cry, uh, the, offense of the cross has been abolished. We'll get to the last verse here in just a few moments. Paul says, you were running a good race. Paul acknowledges that their faith journey with Jesus Christ started off really well. It started off so well. He's applauding them, saying, yes, you started well, but now who cut you off? Believe it or not, I've run in two marathons. I know I don't look like it, but I did. And I will tell you this, my experience in running each of those marathons, yes, they were radically different, yet there were common themes in them. 
And the theme that struck me as I was working on this was at mile 20, things begin to get weird. That's all there is to it. They just get weird. It's incredibly hard to focus. It's incredibly difficult to not, especially um, this marathon, the marathon route uh, that I did in Phoenix, it came within three blocks of our house at mile 20. It was, incredibly diff- it was incredibly tempting to say, I'm out, I'm walking home, there's a pool, I'm dying in the pool. Incredibly difficult to stay focused. But yet, when you stay focused, all of a sudden, you begin to realize that you can do this. There are people in our lives who want to cut us off. There was a gentleman, he was supposed to, uh, as, you, as we were doing the marathon, you're running along and, and these, they have people cheering you on and there was one guy sitting on a lawn chair and he said this, give up now and go home. <laughs> Going, thanks buddy, I really needed that. For the Galatians, they were at that place. They were running a good race. But now these false teachers are coming in and cutting them off. And then Paul refers to them as a little bit of yeast. He says a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. In your Bibles, flip all the way back to Matthew chapter 16. And as you're flipping there, I'm going to, going to inform you of, of a few things about yeast. 22 times yeast shows up in the Old Testament. 17 times it shows up in the New Testament. In almost every single occasion, I think it's about 98% of the time, yeast is always, always, always negative. It is never, it is almost never used positively. Never. Yeast and and those who, who bake bread and those who use yeast know this. Yeast does not mess around. Yeast gets in there and things start happening. And what Paul, as well as Jesus and others, when they're talking about yeast, what they're talking about is is sinful behavior. It starts off rather small, but it leads to radical change. And so Jesus is on a boat. In Matthew chapter 16, we pick it up in verse 5. It says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, and again, Jesus is very blunt. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it, how is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? I love how blunt Jesus is. He said, how do you not get this? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The teaching is this is that you can acquire righteousness, salvation, on your own by obeying a certain amount of rules. That's the yeast he's talking about, and it's sinful because we on our own are in a lot of trouble. 
And that's what Paul's alluding to here when he's talking about a little bit of yeast works its way through, through all the dough. These, these people are looking for just a little bit, but they're going to take over. You need to be on your guard against that. You need, to, you need to be ready for that. And so then what ends up happening is that Paul then goes to this next point and he says, he says I'm, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view, meaning I know now that I've laid this out, you understand what I'm talking about. You're being veered off course. And then he says this in verse 11, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted in the next part of this? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Wait a second. The cross is offensive? How does that work? I thought the cross was, the, was, 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 was symbolic of, of what Jesus Christ went through for us. How could it be offensive to people? Here's what's offensive about the cross. The cross exposes us for who we truly are. The cross exposes us as being in need of a Savior. In this day and age, nobody likes to be told that they're broken. Nobody likes to be told that they, that they don't have it all together. Nobody likes to be told that, that, they're, that they have sin in their life. We want to manage sin. We want to manipulate sin. We want to massage sin. But yet, Paul's saying the cross is offensive because it exposes you. It exposes your need for something bigger than yourself to rescue you. It's so easy, right? It's so easy to to walk around in a bubble thinking that everything is okay, but then when you come face to face with a cross, it jars you because that cross reminds us that somebody paid a price. It jars us that somebody paid a price and that price that they paid was a brutal death. But what's great is that the cross is empty because Jesus Christ conquered death. He conquered sin. And so he lays this out and then Paul, (laughs) he just can't resist it. And he finally says what you've been wondering if you've been wondering how he feels about these false teachers, he finally says it in verse 12. As for those agitators, these people that want you to get circumcised, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I've been upset with many people before in my life, (laughs) but never once have I said those words. Never once. Paul says, know this, this is damaging what they're doing. And so he says, I want them to emasculate themselves. Here's a bumper sticker that you will never see cool minivan minivans and the reason why I'm bringing this up and I told this to Don when we bought our first minivan I said this is the most emasculating vehicle I've ever driven in my life you just can't look cool in a minivan that's all there is to it 
And so as Paul's saying this about emasculating themselves, he's saying, he's saying, I want their manhood completely taken away. I just want it taken away from them. But here's some context for you. Flip all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 23 because there's a bigger thing that Paul's talking about here and that he's going to drive home. In Deuteronomy 23, Moses is laying out what are, what are some things that will get you excommunicated from leading or, or doing whatever. Verse, verse 1 of Deuteronomy 23, and this is what Paul's alluding to. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of Yahweh. Meaning this about the false teachers. They need out. They need out. They need to be taken out of this, out of their, the role of, of leading you astray. That's what Paul's driving at here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 12. And the reason why they need to be taken out is because of this. And we go back to verse 7. You were running a good race who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. Jesus Christ ran a good race. Jesus Christ had everybody trying to cut him off. He had Pharisees saying that you're not who you say you are. He had, he had demonic people saying all types of different things about him. His own apostles couldn't quite figure out who he was. He was being sidetracked or, or tempted to be sidetracked the entire way. But he didn't only run a good race. He finished the race. He finished the race because he knew this, that you and I get cut off quite often. Listen to these words from John chapter 19. Later, knowing that everything had, been, had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was finished. He had run the race. He had got the prize. And in three days, he rose from the dead to prove that he is the one victorious one that we all desperately need. As we go through life and our people are trying to cut us off and sidetrack us and say that, you, that Jesus Christ isn't quite enough, we can look to Jesus Christ and say this, I know he's enough because he went the whole way and he said, it is finished. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing a couple songs here after we pray here in a few moments. But as they come up, I want you to think through. Have you given up an inch and in the process, the person has taken a mile? Have you thought through where you're heading? Do you realize that there is one who ran the race, completed the race, and said, it is finished, and he rose from the dead? to rescue all of us. It's my hope, it's my prayer that all of us, whether we've accepted Christ or not, that we would turn to Christ and say, I need you. I need you to keep running with me as we go through this life. Father, we pray as we contemplate these words, 
we would ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in these moments and that we would understand how we can express our faith through love just as you expressed your faith through loving us and through loving the Father and paying the price for us because you are the only God. Thank you for doing what you did. And Lord, for those in this room that do not know you, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that they realize their need for you. And for those in this room who have been walking with you, who now are being tempted to be cut off by others, we ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would open our eyes to see those, those individuals or those, those concepts or those cultural ideas that are distracting us and that you would remind us to keep our eyes fixed on the one who ran the race and said it is finished. And for all of us, as we sing these songs, we ask that you would be glorified and that we would be a thankful people for all that you've done for us by rescuing us and saving us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.